Good morning. Thank you. Uh, thank you to the uh, the band. Let me get you, if I may, to uh, rewind the clock and return to about five weeks ago to uh, Holy Week, uh, Good Friday, and Easter Day. In that uh, period of forty days, running up to that weekend, that great weekend of remembering and celebration, the period that many Christians call Lent, I was uh, digging into some devotional material that had in it each day one of the prayers that our Anglican friends refer to as collects. It's, it's really, if you like, the prayer of the day. And one of these prayers, and one word in that prayer, really set me thinking and it's been working away in my mind and heart and uh, has led really what, to what I want to uh, get you thinking about this morning. Here's the, uh, here's the prayer, the collect, that, that really gripped me. Almighty God, we ask you graciously to behold this your family for which our Lord Jesus Christ was contented to be betrayed and given up into the hands of wicked men, and to suffer death on the cross, who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, ever one God, world without end. Amen. And the word that struck me and puzzled me is the word contented. For a start, it seems on the surface, so completely out of place. Look at the reason for his contentment. Contented to be betrayed and to suffer death on the cross. Really? Really? It just doesn't appear to fit. It's so different from the emphasis or the tone that we might expect regarding such awful, undeserved suffering that we've been singing about in some of those songs. You might expect to hear words like courage, or patience maybe, or endurance, or resignation, or unfair, or victim. But no, in connection with his death, this prayer from the Anglican prayer book, which is always deeply rooted in the Bible, says this, he was contented to suffer and to die on the cross. It reminded me, uh, reflect my, my age, it reminded me of a striking line in an old hymn that uh, many of us here, we used to sing, but we don't these days, Samuel Crossman's him, my song is love unknown, my saviour's love to me. In the fifth verse, Crossman continues his story of Jesus journeying to the cross. And this is how it goes. They rise and needs will have my dear Lord made away. A murderer they save. The prince of life they slay. Yet cheerful he to suffering goes. Why? Is it possible, I wonder, to dig into this theme, to understand 
why Jesus was contented to die, why cheerfully he to suffering goes. Well, yes, I think it is. Um, And I found John's gospel immensely helpful as I've worked away at this theme for this morning. And when we drill down into this gospel of John, we very quickly discover and find another layer of challenge around this theme of contentment. Because absolutely in line with our CBC church aim, which is, as you all know, to help people to commit to and become more like Jesus. John is utterly determined to include very clear teaching that what gave contentment to Jesus should also be a source of contentment to you and to me if we are disciples of the Saviour. Well, let's just stick with just a couple of of explanations that I find here in John that uh, he gives us for reasons for the contentment of Jesus. Firstly, he was contented, I find, because in his suffering and death, he was in the place of obedience to God's will, in the place of what pleased the Father. I think even to state it like that is actually to announce something deeply shocking and utterly absurd to most of our contemporaries around us. So I ask you, don't miss the revolutionary, pretty disturbing impact of what I've just said. He was content in life, in suffering and in death to be in the place of obedience to God's will. Contentment uh, is a really timely theme for us to consider because uh, many clever people who know about these things tell us that contentment is definitely not a word you immediately associate with our culture, the mood of our times. Rather, it's words like restlessness, anxiety, discontent, alienation, the sense of lostness. These are the words that many sociologists use to describe our age, our culture. But if you raise the topic of contentment, ask your neighbour, your work colleagues, your friends, What gives them contentment? And I suspect that many of them will define it as quite the opposite of obedience to God's will. Probably many would say things like, contentment for me means freedom. Freedom from obligation. Freedom from the restraints of duty. Freedom from the need to obey anybody. Freedom, rather, to pursue my own desires, my own appetites. Freedom to pursue my rights. That's a big one, isn't it? Obedience, in other words, is seen as something chafing, painful, restricting, miserable. This uh, picture of uh, uh, these two uh, oxen under the oak, they look pretty miserable, don't they? I I thought they looked... uh, 
pretty fed up and miserable about being under the yoke. And many people feel like that. Being subject to anyone or anything is like a heavy yoke that cramps their style. But look, this is the striking point that hits you as you turn to John's Gospel. John wants us to be really clear that for Jesus, contentment is absolutely bound up with what pleases his heavenly Father and with obedience to the Father's will. Let me run before you some evidence for this point that I'm making. John 4, 34. My food, or what satisfies me, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he was contented. 5.30. I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. And he was contented. 6.38. I have come down not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And he was contented. 8.29. I always do what pleases my father. And he was contented. 17.4. That great high priestly prayer. I have brought you glory by finishing the work you gave me to do. And he was contented. Someone may come back on this evidence and say, oh, well, it was okay for Jesus to make this great declaration of commitment to please God and do his will. After all, he was who he was, Jesus, the Son of God. It was easy for him to do the Father's will was easy and automatic. Oh, no, it wasn't. John doesn't include the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Thursday evening before Good Friday, which uh, the other three compilers do include, the scene where Jesus agonises, Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me. But John doesn't miss it. John is very keen to actually emphasise the struggle of Jesus as he faces this suffering in chapter 12 and verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And he was contented. But listen, make no mistake this morning that uh, Jesus experienced plenty of things, plenty of temptations that could easily have deflected him from that obedience and desire to please the Father. John uh, records the strange incident at the point where Jesus is arrested where Peter cuts off the ear of Malchus. This picture um, is designed for children. Well, you can see, if you can sort of see the detail, it's, it's pretty sort of vicious 
and violent. I can imagine a number of sort of seven and eight-year-olds loving the kind of drama and violence of it. But um, the point is that Jesus rebukes Peter. I suspect, actually, that, 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 Peter, that Peter did it uh, out of very good intention. He wanted to protect Jesus. But Jesus saw it actually as an attempt to save him from what he knew was the only way to finish the work of salvation. So he rebukes Peter. Chapter 18 and verse 11. Put your sword away, Peter. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? And I don't know about you, but as I read those words of the Saviour, there's a dignified, accepting contentment in those words. He's in the place of the Father's will. But John wants to remind these early Christian readers that as disciples of Jesus, they too are called to a contentment that is rooted in finding out day by day what the Lord, what pleases the Lord, what his will is. In chapter 20 and verse 21, uh, as the Father has sent me, think about that phrase, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, in the same manner, in the same spirit, with the same values, with the same desire and ambition, with contentment to please the Lord our God. That's how we are sent out into day-to-day, day-by-day discipleship. What, what if every morning, what if every morning you and I set out deliberately determined to find out what pleases the Lord. And then in thought and speech and action and desire and ambition, we sought to do it with real delight and with real contentment, whatever the cost. Resisting whatever of self-will gets in the way, as so often it does. To say with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our aim to please him, and we're contented to do that. Jane sets out each day and prays, Lord, will you help me at work today in the way I treat people, in all my relationships, my attitude to people, conversations, decisions? Lord, will you help me this day with absolute contentment to be shaped by the example of Jesus in order to please you. John sets out each day, and he prays, Lord, help me in my use of all the tech stuff that I have access to, social media, my use of the web, etc., etc., in the technological world that I inhabit. Lord, help me with absolute contentment to say no, to say no to any use of technology, that dishonours you or feeds any wrong appetites and desires that I have? And will you help me to use it all in ways that do really honour you and please you? And will you give me contentment in that? Jesse sets out each morning and prays, Lord, will you help me today with absolute contentment 
to make the sacrifices involved in being a good steward of your wonderful creation and to do all that I can to care for this that fragile planet that you have created and entrusted to us as stewards in order to please you. Let my life, my lifestyle, please you and will you help me to be contented to do that for your glory. And the examples and the illustrations could multiply and multiply. You fit your own name into that set of examples. But here's the second thing. He was contented, I find, in John's Gospel to serve and to suffer and die because of what his mission would accomplish for us, for the world. If I can put it uh, simply and bluntly, for Jesus, it was the contentment of love. It was the satisfaction of service. I wonder, I wonder if there's somebody here this morning and you desperately need an assurance that you are greatly valued and deeply loved by God. Despite maybe your persistent sin or your repeated rebellion against the Lord's will, what pleases him. Well, listen, my friend, if you need that assurance, then think again. Think again with me long and hard about the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem in great humility, the suffering and injustice that he endured at the hands of cruel men, and then that agonizing death on the cross. And look, as you think about all that, remember this, he was content. He was content to go through all that because it was the most generous, costly, practical expression of his love for sinners, for you and for me. Love, I say, caused him to suffer and to die. And John quotes words of Jesus that reveal very, very clearly his contentment, his absolute willingness to go through all that for you. Again, let me run some evidence before you. John 10, 18. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. And he was contented. 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he was contented. 6.51 I will give my flesh, I will die in other words, for the life of the world. And he was contented. It reminded me of Noel Richards' uh, song, You laid aside your majesty, gave up everything for me, suffered at the hands of those you had created. You took all my guilt and shame when you died and rose again. And he was contented to do so. The Apostle Paul captures the point in Romans 5, 7. For a good person, someone might possibly 
dare to die. In other words, be contented to do so. But God, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And he was contented to do so out of sheer love and mercy and grace. But John sets out here in his gospel to illustrate that the contentment of Jesus was seen also in loving service. It's John alone again of the four gospels who records the occasion only hours before his arrest and suffering when Jesus humbles himself to do what normally the lowest the lowest servant in the household would be expected to do. That is to wash the dusty, grimy, smelly feet of guests and travellers. And John says he was content to do that. Verse 1 of chapter 13. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the fullest extent and was content to do so. He showed them the full extent of his love. And look, my friends, we are not let off the, uh, the hook if we take our church aim seriously. Because John again seems really focused on wanting these early Christians to whom he sends his gospel to get the point that the contentment of Jesus experienced in this life, poured out in loving service, is an example, a model for you and for me. He quotes the words of Jesus after the foot washing in verse 12. Do you understand what I have done for you? It's, it's a, a, a powerful question because it's utterly, totally opposite of what you would expect. I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. Do you get the point? It's a complete reversal of normal social custom. And the challenge is unmistakable and clear in the words of the Saviour. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you and to do it with contentment. No chafing, no boasting, no moaning and groaning about what's expected of you as a disciple of Jesus in service. No discontent, but rather that deep Christ-like, humble, wonderful sense of contentment that you have the privilege of serving such a glorious and loving and sacrificing saviour. And he presses the point home a little later in chapter 15 and verse 12. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you with contentment. I find my mind... uh, recalling just down-to-earth examples of this contented, humble, loving service. As I was working in preparing for this morning, I've been reading an autobiography of Jimmy Carter, one time president of the United States and a deeply committed Christian. Whilst in the White House, uh, Jimmy Carter 
in this exalted, most powerful man in the world, as some would say, the President of the United States, Sunday by Sunday when he could, he would lead a bi- an adult Bible class in the Baptist church nearby. That's humility for you. But more recently, he served hands-on, as that picture illustrates, in Habitat for Humanity, which he and Rosalind, his wife, set up to provide housing for some of the poorest in the States. And one of the striking things through this autobiography is this deep sense of contentment that this man, powerful, influential, he could do anything that he liked in his retirement as President of the United States, but with great contentment and with love for the Lord, he humbles himself and he picks up the tools and he gets stuck in as he rolls up his sleeves and serves and works for the benefit of the poorest in United States population. I think of the lady who is a good age, but she has spent herself tirelessly caring for severely disabled children. Well-meaning friends say to her, come on, come on, you've given over years doing this, ease up, ease up. No, no, she says. In so many words, she says, I'm contented in spending my energy and resources in the loving care of these kids whom God loves and for whom Christ died. It's no sacrifice. It's a privilege. It's a privilege and a pleasure. I think of a man now virtually bedridden, no longer able to work for the Lord as he used to. But he loves John 17 in this, uh, in this gospel as he remembers how Jesus prayed for, interceded for his disciples, his followers. So this man, no complaining, no bitterness, no resentment, but with great contentment, he spends what energy he has in intercession, especially for the families, the families in the church community that he belongs to. And for the boys and girls and young people growing up in this troubled and difficult and challenging environment, praying for them, and he does so with a huge sense of privilege and contentment. He knows the truth of the saying, intercession is a way of loving others. He can love others powerfully and fruitfully from his bed. But someone might say, Okay, well, I've heard what John says about Jesus being the example, the model of contentment in both living to please God as the central goal of my everyday life. And I've heard it too about loving and sacrificial service. But someone might say to me, ah, but the forces of self-will, the forces of self-service are so strong in my life. How do I break with that self-reference, that self-centeredness that dogs me day after day? Well, it's really significant, isn't it, that with Pentecost Sunday just uh, two weeks away, we read in John 20, as soon as Jesus says, as the Father, in the same way, with the same values, with the same attitudes, with the same desire, Same ambition. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you now out into that world. 
And he goes on to promise the Holy Spirit to be their power, resource. Receive the Holy Spirit. And as the Holy Spirit, my friends, had empowered him for his life and ministry, so now Jesus bestows the Spirit upon his disciples in order to equip them to follow him, to become like him. I want to ask you this morning, quite simply, are you a Christian? This is, this is mainly directed to Christian believers. But I want to ask you, if you are a Christian, are you committed to becoming more like Jesus? Are you committed to our church aim and motto? Are you a contented Christian? Ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart about that. Are you a contented Christian? Contented to set out day by day in every aspect of life to please the Lord and to do his will, resisting every self-reference, self-will, self-desire, but to have that one single-minded desire with contentment to please him. And are you contented to engage in that humble, maybe unheralded, unrecognized service, loving service, that Jesus demonstrated for us. Are you contented to do that? Are you a contented believer this morning? Let's pray together. Lord, we want to come with honesty and integrity before you. Will you search our hearts? May we not be afraid of that. And will you pinpoint any area where there need to be some corrections, of course, getting back on track in this matter of becoming more like Jesus. And dear Lord, will you come to us by your Spirit, that promised Holy Spirit, that we may be contented to do always those things that please you and not ourselves, and to do always those things that are in loving service and sacrificial self-giving, even as Jesus taught us and demonstrated. So will you work by your Spirit within us that we may grow in grace and in likeness to the Saviour whom we love, for we ask that for his glory and in his name. Amen.